Man, God is good, isn't he? He is so good. And you know what? He's always good. He's always good. Every single day, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we think the world is going through, God is always good. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. Thank you for that. So as we continue kind of in the theme of uh, Sacrament Sunday, we're going we're gonna to look at one of the sacraments that we, uh, we're not going to practice it, but we are gonna, we're going to read about it. And that's when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And so let's turn to John chapter 13 this morning, starting right at the beginning in verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knew, okay, before we get any further in this story, we need to understand that Jesus is well aware of what is going on in his life and especially what is about to happen in his life. He is aware that the hour has come. And, you know, if you read the Gospels, there's, there's a few mentions earlier on in his ministry where he'll tell people, my hour has not come. All right. And he'll say that to, to, he said it to his mom. He said it to some other people. My hour has not yet come. But in this moment, he knows that his hour has come. You know, for us in our lives, we have a lot of hours, you know, that come in our lives, different things, different bookmarks or chapters that we live and we expect. When you're a kid, your, your biggest hour that you're waiting to come is summer break, right? You just want to get through school and get to summer. And as you get older, that becomes graduation. Right, you want to graduate high school and move on and then maybe get a college or your first job. And then that evolves into your spouse that you're hoping to marry somebody. And then you want to have kids and then you want the promotion and then retirement and then and then and then. And so we have all these kind of hours that come in our life. But there's several. And some can even be on a small scale. My hour that's coming is vacation, right? Is Christmas or whatever the case may be. Just to get us, you know, maybe it's just the weekend, right? I'm just trying to get to that hour that has come is the weekend to get us through whatever we are going through in that moment. But we have all sorts of kinds. Jesus had one. He had one hour that was to come. And his hour that was to come was not a promotion, was not getting married, was not children or grandchildren or what have you. It was death. Death was Jesus's hour that was to come. And in this moment, he realizes this. And I just want to appreciate Jesus, the person for a minute and really understand him as a human being, what he must have been going through as this supper is taking place, knowing that the hour has come for him to be turned over to death. Everything leading up to this is great crescendo in his life what he must have been wrestling with. And the first thing that I kind of want to consider this morning is his relationship with the disciples. Because Jesus had formed this relationship with these 12 men over these last three years or so of ministry, doing all sorts of different things. And when I think about the relationship that Jesus had formed with these men, I I liken it to, believe it or not, uh, to summer camp. Like when you go to summer camp, anyone ever been to summer camp as a teenager? I mean, let's go a few of us. When you go to summer camp, it is a shortened, condensed amount of time. You get on the bus and you know some people and you're friends with them and it's cool and everything. But then you have this week of like intense Jesus, of worship, of sermons. And you have these cabin times where you're, where you're just sharing your heart like you never have before. And you can't even believe that you're doing it. You're being really vulnerable and everybody is. And you start praying for one another. By the end of the week, when you get back on the bus to come home, it's like this huge best friend family. He's like, I love you. I'm like, what am I going to do without you? How am I going to survive? You've changed my life these last five days. Because you've had this, this just intense, specific time 
You know, that we, we send our students at Beaches Chapel to uh, Costa Rica for a mission trip every year. And when they leave, they're just a group of students. But when they come back, they are a unit. Right? Because they've served together and they've had this time that is intense and it's solely God focused. And the work that God does in them together and individually is incredible. And they come back and say, that was the best thing ever. Why? Because they have these new relationships that are centered in Jesus. How much more so Jesus with his disciples? Think about that. Three years of seeing miracles, of going through trials, of learning lessons, the wind and the waves banging against and then calming, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus teaching them and, and bringing them up and just all this stuff. He, seeing the Pharisees come after Jesus, this intense time and it's, it's them. And there's other people involved, but it's, it's at the core is Jesus and his disciples. And now that's about to end. And I believe for Jesus, it was a hard thing. And he knew he was going to see them again. But this was unique. This was a time for them here on this earth. And now the hour for him has come. And summer camp has ended. And this time that they've had together is over. And I believe because of the way Jesus loves us, how the Bible says that this was, this was a hard ending for him because he loved these men. He loved them. And yes, he was going to see them again. But this was something that was special. So he's wrestling with that, right? Then on top of that, the hour that's come is him being handed over to the Roman government to endure crucifixion, which is, Charles Wendell says, is the worst extreme torture known to man. That's what he was being turned over to do. So he's having this supper. He's thinking about this is the last time I'm going to eat with my disciples. And oh, after that, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to be beaten beyond belief. I'm going to be spit at mocked, stripped of my clothes, and then I'm going to be hung on a cross and I'm going to endure a pain like I can't even imagine. So now he's dealing with that as well. But then on the flip side, I love what it says here at the end of verse one, for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Yes, he was going to miss the disciples. He was going to endure an outrageous death. But after that, he got to go home. He got to go home. Let's not forget, the earth is not Jesus' home. I'll say that again. The earth is not Jesus' home, y'all. All right? Just like this is not our home. We are aliens in this world. Our home is in heaven. That's why when you look at the world and it doesn't make sense to you because you have Jesus in you, it's because this isn't your home. Jesus was going home to see his heavenly father and to sit at the right hand of him in heaven. And so mix all those emotions up in, in a bowl, if you will, and just consider what Jesus was enduring just mentally and spiritually and emotionally in those moments. All of these different things just pulling at him, these emotions pulling at him as he's sitting with his disciples. It's pretty unbelievable. It goes on to say, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I love that ending of that sentence. Jesus has loved them to the end. You know, the Bible says that God loved the world, but it doesn't say that the world loved him back. The majority of the world rejects Jesus. That's a large majority. Rejects Jesus. And the thing about love is you can love somebody, but until it's reciprocated, there's not that magic, right? There's not that power. But when you find that person in your life and you love them and they love you back, woo, that's good stuff. And when Jesus loves us, and then we love him back, that's special. 
And he loved his disciples to the end. And he loves us to the end. And I just, have you ever considered, have you ever stopped and thought about what Jesus thinks about your love for him? We talk about God's love for us all the time and rightfully so, because it is incredible. It is unable to articulate with words. But I don't think we really consider a lot what it means to Jesus that we love him back. And I believe for Jesus, it is so special. Because as he's wrestling with all these emotions and he's considering this death that awaits him, he knows that as he is hanging on the cross, the majority of the world is going to say, no thanks, not for me. But when we say, yes, I think that does something in his heart as well as our heart because now the love is reciprocal and the magic happens and the power happens and we get filled with Jesus and we get in a baptismal and we get wet and come out of the water and our lives are changed forever. There's power when the love is reciprocal. And I believe it blesses Jesus to no end. Then we say, I choose you, Father, to be my savior. I accept the sacrifice that you made. And he loves us to the end. Verse two, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. All right. So if we believe that Jesus is all powerful and all knowing and he is God and he is the son of God, he was in the beginning and now he's, the, he's, he's in the flesh, the word, all that stuff. If we believe all that, then we have to believe with it that as he's sitting at this dinner with his disciples, that he knows right now that Judas is about to betray him. He has to know that as God, right? Okay, so let's just put a pin in that little fact right there and we're gonna return to that in just a minute. Because there's a lot in that that we need to understand. But let's keep reading first. Verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, Jesus is aware of Judas's betrayal coming and he is also aware of his own power. He knows, he is well aware. Listen, the thing that we need to understand about God is he is not insecure. He is very self-aware of his own power, right? God doesn't question himself. Did I make the right decision there? Oh, did I screw that one up? When he does it, it's, it's, it's right. He never second guesses himself because he is aware of his power. He is aware of his authority. And Jesus as God in this moment, moments before death, moments before his arrest was well aware of his power. And this is what it says. One of the most powerful words in this story, verse four, the first word. So he's aware of his power. He's aware of his authority. And with that knowledge, what does he do? It says, so knowing that he uh, knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from, the, from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus, knowing that he had all the power and authority in the universe to do whatever he wants, decides the decision that he makes with that understanding is to become the lowest person in the house. The person that washed feet in a house, was, that was the worst job, right? When you're coming and you're filling out an application, you're trying to get that job at the house, 
I said, I want to start you at the bottom in the mail room and we're going to work your way up. And that position was washing feet. I think it's pretty obvious why, right? Not a long line of people that just, hey, you know, if that happens, like you should stay away from them, right? Jesus, knowing that he had all power and all authority, said, okay, with that power and with that authority, I'm going to become the ultimate servant here. And I'm going to wash their feet. And here's, let's circle back to Judas. Jesus, knowing what Judas was about to do, washed Judas's feet. I want to just consider that for a second. We don't like to wash our best friend's feet. We don't like to show, you know, or to put ourselves in a place of servanthood over anybody, much less the person that is going to betray us after three years of ministry. But you know what's interesting about Judas? Jesus, if you go back to John chapter six, Jesus knew then that his heart had turned from him, but he let him stay in the circle. Why? Because he loved Judas to the end too. He loved Judas all the way to the end too, to the point where he starts washing these disciples' feet. And I believe he gets to the point to Judas and he looks him in the eye, knowing full well what Judas was gonna do. And he says, I'm loving you to the end too. And I'm gonna wash your feet and I'm gonna serve you as the son of God, as having all the authority, knowing that I came from the father and I'm going back to the father, I'm going to wash the feet of my betrayer. In church, we talk about wanting to be like Jesus and live like Jesus and love like Jesus. Do you mean it? Because here's the example. Here's his life right here. And can we, as believers who love Jesus, wash our betrayer's feet? Or do we get to a point where we say, no, not you. You don't deserve it. You disagree with me. You, you, you've been talking about me. You've been doing this, that, and the other. So I'm not gonna wash your feet. That's not how Jesus acted. If we as the church, in the hour that we are in, can decide with a pure heart, knowing what is right, knowing who the authority is, become the lowest and wash our betrayer's feet, I believe that we will see revival in all the churches in all the world. But we have to get on our knees and put our own agenda and our own feelings aside and say, I'm gonna be the lowest now. And I'm gonna look my betrayer in the eye and I'm gonna love you to the end. I'm gonna share Jesus with you every moment that I can. And what, how they react and what they decide from that, that's not our business. Our job is just to love them to the end, just like Jesus did with Judas. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter just can't believe this is happening. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And verse eight, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. What? Peter, come on. Don't you understand what Jesus is doing? Don't you get it? Peter says, uh-uh. Not mine. That is a reaction that we have a lot towards Jesus. We know how dirty our own feet are and we see the holiness of Jesus and we don't allow him to love us 
the way that he wants to. Because we don't want him to get close enough to see the dirt on our own feet. And he's saying, no, 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 bring me in. Peter, Peter says, no, you're too holy. You're too great. He said, exactly. I love you so much that I have to do this. You've got to let me in. But instead we keep Jesus at, at an arm's distance. We, we, we're around him, we follow him, we hear him, but when it comes time for him to wash our feet, we say, no, that's too much because we're scared of him seeing the dirt in our lives. And so before we bash Peter and say, why would you ever do that? We need to look at our lives and ask, are we doing the same thing? Are we letting Jesus in all the way? And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, look, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm the only one that can make you clean. I'm it. So, so I have to wash your feet. I have to come into your heart. And until we come to that realization that it is only Jesus that can make us clean, we're always gonna fall short. We talked about this last week. We try and, we, we try and do all of it on our own. I'll wash my own feet, Jesus. I'll clean up my own self, Jesus. You're too great, so I'll just do it on my own. And then once I'm done with my feet being clean, then I'll come to you. And he's saying, it doesn't work like that. I have to do it. I have to do it because I'm the only one that can clean you. And that is why I came. His hour had come. And in that moment is when he decides to wash their feet. Why? Because that's why he came. That's why he came. And so let us not be like Peter and keep Jesus at a distance for fear of what he might see in our own hearts. Because you know what? He sees it already. He sees it already. And what he's saying is, I see it, so I want to come closer to you and make you clean. Not be at a distance. I want to get so close that I'm, I'm on my knees washing the dirt off your feet. It does not get any closer than that. It does not get any closer than that. That is why he came. His hour had come to wash the muck and the dirt and the sin that we wrestle with and battle with that causes us guilt and shame and embarrassment and fear to wash all that away. So his hour had come. And I believe Jesus is after us saying, your hour has come now. Your hour has come. Will you make that decision to allow me to wash your feet? Those are the two ultimate lessons this morning. Now, but before we get to that, though, I'm going to read this verse because this, this is just a trip. This is Luke 22, starting in verse 21. So this is them as they're starting the, the supper. He says, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. This is Jesus talking. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? So the disciples are hearing this, and they say, the disciples began to ask each other which one of them would ever do such a thing. Check this out, though, in verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus said, hey, one of y'all is going to betray me to death. Who would do that? Not me, because I'm better than all y'all, right? <laughs> And then they all start arguing. No, you're not. I am. I am. Blah, 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 blah. It just gets out of control. And the whole lesson that Jesus is about to show them is about being the least. Timely lesson, right? Timely lesson now. 
we argue so much, maybe in our own mind or with someone else comparing ourselves to other Christians and who the better Christian is. There is no better Christian. We're all sinners. The fact that Judas was still in the circle means we're all in the same boat. And so instead of arguing who's the best, why don't we start arguing about who can serve the most and watch these seats get filled. Watch every seat in every church get filled because the world is desperate for Jesus to wash their feet. And you know what's funny about dirty feet? If you just look down, you don't really see the dirt until you actually take a look at it. And so there's a lot of people in this world that are walking around, they don't even know that their feet are dirty. And then Jesus is gonna open their eyes and they're gonna see the dirt. And that's where we come in, say, we love you. There's a place for you here. Beaches Chapel is a home for all to begin and grow in a relationship with Jesus. We are a family that is inclusive, not exclusive. And I can't wait to meet new members of this family because we love people to the end. Listen, if you're sitting here this morning and you think, well, I've just done too much. There's just too much going on in my life. I'm too busy right now to take that walk with the Lord. That's the answer of Peter. And Jesus is saying, it's not about timing. It's about now. Your hour has come now. So don't put me at a distance. Don't think that, that I'm, I'm too much for you. That's why I came. Or if you sin, your sin is too great. You've been hiding in your heart. Let me tell you something. There is a place for you. He washed Judas's feet. He will wash yours too. And he will love you to the end. There is no sin. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Everybody has a seat at the table. When his hour came, it came for all of us. And the question is, what do we do when our hour has come? And we make that decision. Will we let him in? I want to have the band come back up. We're going to close with communion this morning and with worship. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It says, whoever believes in Him. Whoever. Y'all say whoever. Whoever. All right? No qualifications. Saying everybody, whoever believes in him. Every single person. You got, listen, we all have family members and friends and coworkers that were just dying to see Jesus. They are whoever, okay? It's everybody, whoever believes, not about our works, not about what we can do. It's the grace of God in the hour that came for him as he died on the cross that allows us to say, whoever believes, whoever believes, will have eternal life. We'll get baptized on a Sunday morning in front of their new church family and their lives will be changed forever. It's not about us washing our own feet. It's not about us having done too much to keep us from Jesus. He had all the authority in the heavens and the earth. And in that moment, he decided to be the lowest of the low and to wash the dirt out of our lives. So the question is, 
what are you going to do with it? Are you going to let him wash your feet? Because as he says, if you don't let me, there's no other way. There's no other way. So you can be free this morning of trying to do it yourself. I love the baptisms today. Seeing everyone come out of the water clean, clean. No more sin, no more guilt, no more condemnation. We are a new creation in Jesus. The old is gone and the new is here. And so for those watching online and those in here this morning, this is your hour. This is your hour to make that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I'm not gonna keep you at a distance anymore. I'm gonna let you all the way in, into my heart, into my life. So before we take communion this morning, I want us to all pray that prayer of salvation, to reaffirm our faith, and to just tell God again that he's our savior and that he loves us. Listen, I've been in church my whole life. I've prayed the prayer of salvation, I don't know how many times, but I don't believe God ever gets tired of it. I got three little girls, and when they tell me that they love me, I never get tired of it. And when my wife tells me that she loves me, after I wake up from my faint, I'm like, wow, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Just making sure y'all are paying attention. I don't think God ever gets tired of us telling him that he's our savior and that we love him. So why don't we just bow our heads and close our eyes and just repeat this prayer after me this morning. Dear Jesus, I thank you for being the lowest of the low, for living on this earth, dying on the cross being raised again for me I believe that you are the son of God and I ask you to come into my heart and to be Lord of my life forgive me of my sins and make me a new creation today I love you Jesus Amen Amen Matthew 26, verse 26 says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in the pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many, just like the water was poured out into the basin to wash the feet. Jesus' blood is poured out to wash us of our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your body that was broken, that was beaten, that was bruised, that was nailed to a cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you were that sacrifice, that you took our place and submitted yourself even to death and death on a cross. But Lord, we thank you that it didn't end there. That though your body was broken on the cross, you were raised from the dead three days later. And that no death, no cross, no torture could stop you from being our sacrifice because you love us so much. So Father, right now we take this bread and we say thank you. And we do it in remembrance of how much you love us. Let's take the bread. Father, we thank you for your blood 
that was poured out as a sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. We thank you, Lord, that your mercy is new every morning, that we can come to you every single day. It was not a one-time thing, Father, but for the rest of our lives, miracle, that you wash us new. Lord, that we don't have to live in guilt, we don't have to live in shame, we don't have to hide our mistakes and our failures from you, but we can bring them to you and you take them from us and you don't beat us down, you don't make us feel terrible, like a loser, like a failure. You say, let me wash you. Let me cover you. Let me make you new. And all that guilt you were feeling before, all that shame you were feeling before is gone. I don't hold it against you because I love you to the end. Thank you for your blood that was poured out, that makes us clean every day, that we never have to live in sin. Yes, Jesus. Let's take the cup in remembrance of his blood. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand and close in worship this morning?